Pete. I don't know. We we we, we never came up with the name for that guy. That dancing coffee cup. If you're listening to the podcast, you don't know. There's dancing coffee cup on the screen. Uh, that's what happens early on Friday morning. It is Friday. Thank goodness. Friday. Yeah. It's, we made it made it to the end of the week. We didn't use up. We haven't burnt up our 168 hours yet. Uh, we burned up the work week uh, for most people. For most people, I know a lot of guys, a lot of folks are out there working the weekend too. So not discounting that, but a lot of folks, the majority of folks probably are wrapping up their week work week today. Being done with things, getting on with the weekend. What do you got going on this weekend? Um, fun stuff. Hopefully fun stuff. And we have a little lead-in, a little time for everyone to get online. It takes a little while to get everyone, everyone spun up on a Friday morning, on any morning, really, to get in. Uh, of course, it's Friday, so our early coffee's in our red cup. Got our red t-shirt on. Remember, everyone deployed. If you want one of these, you can get them on the cyber-recon front slash swag site. It's in your show notes, of course, as always. Um, if you're joining us, first things morning, we're talking about the news today. We got for five for Friday, five for Friday today. Um, really focused again. We got a theme going. Every day seems to be a theme. Today's theme is ransomware. So we're gonna take four, four different views of ransomware. Let me fix that fade level. We got a weird fade level going on here. Sharpen that up a bit, not that much, uh, somewhere in the middle. Oh, four different views of, of ransomware. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. There's Eric being the first in, as always, like clockwork, Eric. Good morning, everyone, he says, and yes, it's Fry-yay. Fry-yay. We made it. Thank goodness. You start out Monday, you don't know. You don't know how far Friday is away. We got here. Did you fight those battles all week? Did you fight through the, the good and the bad? Did you push security and cyber and risk forward? Did you push our group effort forward securing securing our systems from the bad guy? Every day, every day it's a new new challenge. Every day there's new things to worry about, new things out in the world. So what did you do this week, huh? Rainer, I think maybe your your first morning, maybe? Um, Rainer Spry, good morning. Nice to have you this morning. So we do got a lot going on. The, the, the lead in, the, the catch, the hook on YouTube this morning is four views of ransomware. And that's really really what we have this morning. We've got, we look at it from a mobile device. And a lot of people don't think about this, but ransomware attacks mobile devices, particularly Android devices. So we're gonna look at it from that point of view. Um, we're gonna look at it from the Fisher and the recipient's point of view. Um, this one, social engineers, man. Gee, God, these guys, they're smart. This one's a good one. This fish is a good one. I'm sure it's getting people every day. It's a good, 
it's good, man. They they the social engineers they got this one be hard to avoid. Um, I think it's getting people. Um, yeah, and then the Justice Department's going to try to crack down on cryptocurrency. I'm not sure how that's going to work out, but we're going to see how it works out cracking down on cryptocurrency. And a report from the Justice Department is out, so you can grab that. It's in your show notes as well. And last on our four for ransomware is there's a question that someone has posed about putting GDPR protections in place like they do in the European Union. I can never remember GDPR. It's it's acronym General Data Protection Regulation. You'd think I'd remember that. It's the European Union's way of securing information and they are without a doubt the European Union is much better at requiring private information be encrypted than we are here in the United States. There's no doubt about that. GDPR is stronger than American privacy laws. It, it just is, man. It just is. If you're in an organization that has to has to deal with GDPR, you know this. You know their their rules and requirements of GDPR are much more strict. If you've been to a website in the last say year and a half and that pop-up banner comes up and says this site use cook uses cookies that's because of gdpr gdpr is enforced with for on any company that is not only doing business in the european union but potentially could be doing business with a citizen of the european union so they could be here in the united states and you have to worry about enforcing gdpr that cookie banner just one example of that. Eric's jumping in, Rain. Welcome, best security cybersecurity podcast on YouTube. I'd like to, I'd like to steal that logo, Eric. I think, it, I think it is, and it's because of you guys. It's the community that makes the podcast. Otherwise, I'm just here talking to a microphone, and what kind of crazy person would do that, except for me. Um, so that's our four. We're going to walk through different views of ransomware today. Um, and then we're also going to talk about CISA, one of my favorite organizations with my least favorite name, um, acronym, I should say. You know, I don't like it because of the CISA certification. Don't name your organization the same acronym as a cert certification. It's like creating a new organization and calling it CISSP. That doesn't make sense. But companies are opting out of sharing their data with CISA, with DHS in general. And we're going to talk about why. We're going to start with that one because the other four lead right into each other. They're all in the same family. They're in the same basket. They got the same same things to talk about. So obviously, we'll talk about them together. One to the other, they kind of lead into each other across the board. Alex is here this morning. Alex and I had a chance last night to have a virtual beer together. Um, you know, we can't, you know, we're still social distancing. So we got on WebEx and we shared a beer and talked about some future plans. I, I, I'm, I'm amped up, Alex. I don't know if you are. I'm amped up about it. I'm excited. More to come and it's tying in. You know, we're talking about this advanced RMF course. 
You know, you know the basics. You know the seven steps of RMF 2.0. You know how to do that stuff. You know what the control catalog is. You know how to categorize. If you know all that stuff, this is the class for leveling up one more. This is the class. We're sitting down. We're, we're thinking to experts, and we're thinking to. Alex, we're thinking. We're not thinking. We're talking to experts in this community, and we're saying, what is it that you really want to know at that next level? at that next level and some conversation is spawning off this is too big for it to be put into a class it needs to be its own class probably maybe shorter i don't know lots coming out of that lots of good conversation last night alex doing great and wonderful things so good morning alex uh, everyone's doing great and wonderful things it is a community a cybersecurity risk and uh information security community of people get up every day and Go out and fight. Fight these good fights. Do the right thing. Fighting the bad guy and making sure we're training our users, our developers, to do the right thing. And that's sometimes a harder challenge. So doing it right here from our uh, Galaxy Universal Headquarters right here in Virginia, Northern Virginia. Our RMF, advanced RMF class badly needed. I think, it, I think the name we settled on is just the advanced RMF class. Uh, can't go more than that, really. I don't know. So that's the news today. We're going to talk about what hit, what your kind of crazy holiday is for the day. What's the weird holiday for the day? We'll talk about that as well. Um, and we launched uh, launched the RMF intro or the basic RMF level one uh, was launched this week. Got off the grounds, taken off. Eric's going through. He's auditing that for us making sure that everything's where it should be. And I need to, we'll close the loop today or maybe over the weekend, Eric, to make sure, hopefully you got in. You, I saw you change your password. You got in, you logged in, you, you're working through. Hopefully you, you, you like what you see um, and can provide us some, some place we can improve. Always looking to improve. And again, community effort, man, making things better. Um, I walked Alex through one of the modules, one of the topics last night as well as we were enjoying a beer um it's more than just a recording you know a lot of these classes you take it's a recording and that's that's what you get now it's way more than that um we walked through it a little bit one one night one day we did walk through it here so you're here for the news right you're not here for me talking about stuff we're doing you're here to here to look at listen to the news talk about the news what's in the cyber world for today um so let's throw that intro on and then we'll jump into these news stories Do do do! Almost pushed the wrong button on my stream deck here. That would have been a bad. That'd have been a bad bad sign. Bad bad sign. You know these guys. We talk about these guys every week. Good folks, bad name. Good folks, bad acronym. Maybe I should start putting the the uh, certification SZA logo up instead of theirs, just because. Hey guys. Oh man. So DHS Department of Homeland Security has been around since 2016. Um. But their threat-sharing platform has been plagued by lack of participation in. Uh, private organizations just aren't sending their data in. And they, they're like, why are you not sending your data in? And you guys can probably, if you've worked with the government, you probably know why people aren't sending their data in. You know. You know this already. You know what the story's all about. 
So uh, it's called the, uh, the Automated Indicator Sharing Service, or IAS. AIS, sorry, AIS. And it's maintained by the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, these folks. Uh, was designed as a fire hose of free threat data and intended to be fast, uh, unfiltered tap of every threat its participants see. But the Inspector General report released this week confirmed an underwhelming engagement. Here's what the IG said about AIS. The limited number of participants sharing cyber threat information in AIS is the primary impediment to achieving better quality and more actionable information sharing. Only 3% of its customers receiving threats from the AIS service uploaded threat indicators, 3%. Uh, but why? <laughs> why, you may say? Uh, there's lack of education on what the information is worth sharing on the platform. Many chief information security officers worry that sharing information pertinent to threats may inadvertently expose data the company or customers would like to keep private. Also, here, get ready, guys. If you worked with the government, you may not believe this, but the system is clunky to use um, and resources going to sharing a problem can't go to fixing a problem. And without a peer group, who's also sharing their most valuable information, it's hard to see the benefit of using a platform to help other companies without receiving help in return. What they say is nobody wants to be first. Nobody wants to dump their data in. So you don't want to, you know, the incidents going on, you don't want to have people spending time sending the data to Homeland Security. You want those people fighting the fire, taking care of the, the breach, closing that breach. That's one of the problems. The other one, you know, I know you guys are going to say it can't be true that the government built a clunky system, uh, probably built by contractors, consultants, according to the government specs, uh, probably awarded to the lowest bidder. Um, they built a clunky system. And now here's what you get. You get a clunky system. Sometimes, knock, knock, U.S. government, sometimes you can't always go with the lowest bidder. you got to go with the most qualified person to or team to build build out. Got to get out of the mindset, guys. Uh, the big problem preventing users from sharing data is the quality of data received back from the system. Customers who want to share data want to share where it counts. So this guy, uh, Brian Kimmy, is a senior, ladder, senior analyst at Forrester, says, AIS is like being offered a free puppy. I love this quote. Uh, first, it sounds great. Then you have to walk it and clean up after it. <laughs> AIS is so much time to get any value. Um, I honestly don't think we found anything useful in AIS, and he's been using it. Um, also, the data can get the data going in. They're fire hosing data in, and a lot of places want to desire. They want to remain anonymous. They have a desire to remain anonymous. Um, and that makes it more difficult because once you throw your data in there, it can be traced back to a single IP address. That's the bad thing. Um, who's this talking here? Wendy Nather, an advisory CISO at Cisco, 
and former research director of retail ISAC sent an email in saying for this article, the type of threat intelligence that lends itself to, to be automated feeds ends up being aged and sanitized down to a level where it's safe to share across the board without the possibility of detailed iterative feedback. Yeah. Sanchez says most firms move to ISAC information sharing where the uh, where there's more active uh, specific sector information. And if you don't know, there's there's ISAC. These are information sharing centers. There's a, a medical and pharmaceutical ISAC. There's a financial services ISAC. There's different ISACs that are just centered around those industries. And they do a great job of sharing information. And there's that's one place you'll see. And I was amazed. I went to a, a pharmaceutical ISAC meeting, uh, medical, I guess. And it was amazing to see competitors sharing inside information about how they're doing things, how they're securing things, how they're building policies, how they're, it was just pretty amazing to see competitors. Um, you know, it was pharmaceutical, so it was Pfizer, Merck, and different companies talking about how they want to make the industry better. Pretty dang amazing. So these guys, you know, Sanchez is saying, it's better to go to FS ISAC or ISAC financial service or me medical service or whatever ISAC, whatever community you're part of, go to there to share your information because it can be more actionable. Sanchez noted, says the public reporting of indicators, signatures, and attributions has been more frequent over the past years. We have seen a lot more out of CISA lately. We'd like to see some of that rigor and depth applied to AIS data, including <laughs> the attack information uh, and other contexts that'd be great even just adding analytics and uh, indicators would help. So MITRE ATT&CK framework is awesome. And you guys you guys know I'm a big fan of the MITRE ATT&CK framework. And we need to talk about it more. We talked about it hit and miss throughout the, the show. But they don't even include the attack information in these releases, which if they did that, it would probably make it worthwhile just by itself. Unfortunately, trust tends to happen between individuals, not between organizations. Um, and the nature of AIS platform is that it's an organization. Um, CISA has responded. CISA is committed to providing the overall quality of information it shares with AIS participants and is working with our government and private sector partners to address the recommendations in the OIG, or the Office of Inspector General's report, and improve the ability of the government and private sector to contribute and benefit from AIS. That's uh, pretty good write-up. It's a, I can see a clunky system being built. And that's from a number of reasons. The government builds a lot of clunky systems. Builds some pretty good systems. But I've seen a lot of just clunky systems built. First of all, when the, the concept is created, the, the people that are thinking about what they want normally have to go through a bureaucratic chain to get that idea on paper so that a statement of work or a request for, inform uh, for information or a request for bid can go out to contractors to bid on doing the work. And that gets watered down and muddled as it goes through the bureaucracy and turns into something and things get changed so it can make the budget and things like that. And then it's put out for bid and then uh, the, contra the contractors bid and they're, they're, they start out bidding to do the job right. And they end up bidding to meet the statement of work and meet the price requirements. And then generally, I'm not saying this happens every single time, but generally 
the government's going to go with the lowest bidder. Uh, there's a couple other features that go in there, but a lot of times the lowest cost has a lot to do with that. You guys out here in the DC area, you know that. You know that's how it works. You know if you're working the consulting side, the contracting side, you know that's how it works. If you work the government side where you're trying to get contracts through, you know it's a bureaucratic chain. You know it's hard to get that idea you have, the thing you want, all the way through to actually being built. It's, it's very, very hard. It's just hard. Um, so I can see this. My idea here, SZA, if organizations are already sharing with these ISACs, like FS ISAC and um, I can't think of the medical one, whatever the medical one, all these different communities, these ISACs, why don't, why don't you as a first step try to connect the AIS system with those, those ISACs? Get information from the ISACs because organizations are already sharing information with ISACs. And then you can build your base. And then, maybe then you can go to people, individual organizations, and say, hey, we've already got this kind of information. If you add in, you'll not only get access to all this kind of information because the ISACs are good, but they're really centered around a industry, pharmaceutical or financial or whatever, automotive. Um, this would give a little broader picture of threats in the landscape. And you can zoom down to the, that particular information of your industry. Just a thought, DHS, just a thought. If people aren't sharing because they can't get the information they want back from you, but they are sharing with the ISACs, and maybe the ISACs are something you can go to them, because then if you've got 20 people feeding data in the ISAC, maybe you can use that as a hop up. Maybe, maybe you guys thought of this. Maybe, SZA, maybe you've already thought of this, but to me, that seems like the first step. Build something people want, and then people will come and get it, right? Maybe? I don't know. Don't ask, 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 and then give something back. Maybe give, 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 and then ask for something. Just a thought. Gary Vandercheck told me that a long time ago. Uh, jab, jab, uppercut, or whatever, whatever he calls in his book, I think. Give people stuff. His big thing is give people stuff they want. They need to do their stuff. And then when you need something from them, you can ask them because you've got credibility. You've got stuff built up. Uh, so I think they're doing it across other sectors. Uh, is doing great work in promoting a lot of things, but apparently not this system. So that's the only thing we're not talking about. It's really kind of, I guess, a little bit ransomware-y. Android. Do you got an Android? Do you get an Android for Android or iPhone? I don't think I don't know that Windows is still in the market. Um, I just saw something about BlackBerry putting something new out. I BlackBerry used to be used to be the the if you had a BlackBerry device, you could email anywhere you want. Good example of somebody who got to the top, rested on their laurels, and lost it all. BlackBerry was you had black everybody. Everybody was using BlackBerry. You could get your email anywhere. Then Apple came along and said, hey, I'm bugging your web too. The rest is history. Ah, uh, you let the world pass you by, BlackBerry. So, talking about Android. We're talking about ransomware. We have started down the trail, the ransomware trail. So ransomware has been around for years. The article from Wired says, 
poses an ever-increasing threat to hospitals, municipal governments, and basically any institution that can't tolerate downtime and just anyone that can't tolerate their data being locked up or their data being posted on the internet as well. But along with the various types of PC malware that are typically used, there's another burgeoning platform from ransomware as well. Can you guess what it is? I'll give you a hint. It's right there, Android. Android phones and new research from Microsoft, oh, go, go figure, shows that criminal hackers are investing time and resources into infecting their mobile ransomware tools, a sign that their attacks are generating buy payouts. Yeah, it's yeah. if they're building attacks on, on Android and they're getting money, they're going to continue to build attacks for Android. And, and, and my guess is it's easier to build attacks for Android because the um, Apple store is a little more tightly controlled than the Android one. Um, we'll see. We'll see if that's the thing. That's my indicator. Uh, released on Thursday, yesterday, the findings, which were detected using Microsoft Defender on mobile, looked at, at a variant of known Android ransomware family that's added some clever tricks. That includes new ransomware note delivery mechanism that improved techniques to avoid detection and even machine learning. I always am, I'm always kind of questioning when they say machine learning. A machine learning component that could be used to fine tune the attack for different victims' devices. And you're gonna see why I'm not, I'm not calling. I don't really think this is machine learning. Um, while mobile ransomware has been around since at least 2014, it still isn't an ambiguous threat, um, but could be posed to make a bigger leap. Apparently, that was a hard, hard paragraph to read. Tans May, um, the guy who leads Microsoft Defender research team, has said it's important for all users out there to be aware that ransomware is everywhere, and it's just not for your laptop, but for any device you connect to the internet. The effort that attackers put into computer users' devices, their intent is to profit from it. They go wherever they believe they can make money. That is the truth. So uh, mobile ransomware can encrypt files on any device the way PC ransomware does, but it often uses a different method. And the method, this is, this is genius. The method simply involves plastering your entire screen with a ransomware note so you can't get to your phone. Uh, even after you restarted, this works. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's abusing uh, Android permission called system underscore alert underscore window to create an overlay window that you can't dismiss or circumvent. Security scanners started to detect and flag apps that could produce, produce this behavior, and Google added protections against it last year in Android 10, and as an alternative to the old approach, Android ransomware can still abuse the accessibility feature um, or use mapping techniques to draw an overlay on the window. So essentially, they just want they want to put something on the screen so you can't interact with your phone. So they're not necessarily locking up your data, which is a good thing. Um, but they say in the, the first part, they say, yeah, that is one of the methods they're looking at. But generally, the ransomware on your phone is going to put some kind of overlay that makes it impossible to use your phone. You restart it, you get the same thing. Um, 
I'm assuming why this is probably why it's not a really big deal to, to Apple devices. Because a lot of times those Apple devices are backed up to the cloud, and if it's just an overlay, you just back up to yesterday. And Bob's your uncle, you're back in business. Now here's here's the way I think the article goes a little bit off the rails. Researchers also discovered a machine learning module in the malware samples they analyzed that could be used to automatically size and zoom the ransomware based on the size of the victim's device display. Given the diversity of Android handsets around the world, such a feature could be useful for attackers ensuring the ransom note is displayed clean and legibly and covers the entire screen. Uh, Microsoft found that this ML component wasn't actually activated within ransomware and maybe still testing in the future. That's that's not, guys, that's not machine learning. That's the same the same thing that people have been doing for years to determine if you're looking at a web page on a computer or on a tablet. They're just getting the device info and they're resizing to that. That's not learning anything. That's following a programmed route. Come on, people. Please help me. So Microsoft researchers found the ransomware was designed to mask functions and, and purpose. Um, Every Android app must include a manifest file, which is like a ship's file. And it's got a, it's supposed to list everything that's going on in the, in the application. And guess what? The bad guys aren't listing everything, and they're encrypting some functions. So, you know, how, how can the bad guys just do that, not list the, the malicious functions in their manifest? Um, and they use name mangling to conceal the malware's components as well. So essentially, this type of ransomware is happening on Android devices doesn't necessarily lock up today today it doesn't necessarily lock up your data but it does make your phone unusable by plastering a big old you've been hijacked oh. so that's way number one that's one way that's that's attacking you attacking your friends your family your co-workers android devices with ransomware did you guys know this was out there did you know this this type of Overlay ransomware was out there. Did you have any, you ever had anybody come across this? I want to know. Show it in the chat. Throw it in the comment section below. D's up and working. Late to the game. Hope you all have a great weekend is what D's saying. We always like to read the comments. For the people that listen to the podcast, because as you know, later today, this will be available in its audio-only format on iTunes and all the other uh, places. Amazon, wherever, whatever your favorite pod download site, this will be out there for you. This one, just ransomware. The way in, the way in is often through, we always say there's a lot of times there's three, three things we need to do. We need to secure our RDP connections, make sure they're not out there on the internet. We need to make sure our systems are patched to include our VPNs. And we need to train our end users. So we train our end users against phishing. Um, this is from Proof, Proof Point. Proof Point. They're going to include some snippets of code in the article if you want to check them out. Snippets of code are in this one. Employer 21, targeting teachers with ransomware disguised as class assignments. And this one is just, you know, we'll get to cut the chase. It's just normal phishing. Um, it's an email being sent to teachers hoping that they will click the file and open it up. But th these guys are smart, man. They are. October 1st and 2nd, 
Proofpoint research observed a narrowly targeted email campaign with subjects such as sons, assignment upload, assignment upload failure for, and then there's a place for a name, or place for a name, um, assignment upload failure. And they're trying to deliver a zipped document such as Steph's assignment.docx, DOCX, inside a zip file, Steph's assignment.zip, Steph being the example here. The campaign attempted to lure in victims with a plea from a parent to a teacher to accept an assignment submission over email because the child failed to submit it in the usual way. Targets of the campaign were individual teachers. Uh, their email addresses likely pulled from public pages of school websites. Genius! This is smart. These fishers of people, man. Not in a good way. Um, gave an example. Hello! This is what the, this is. This is what the email reads like, right? And there's an assignment.zip file, and it's got, you know, so-and-so's-assignment.zip. Hello, I'm, they blurted out, somebody's mother, and then the, the name. She told me that she wasn't able to upload, that's where the, the problem, she told me she wasn't upload, able to upload his assignment the usual way you get, the way you guys do, and told me to email you the assignment. She was very... Rushy, yeah, it, I guess that way. I guess it isn't that well written. She was very rushy about me sending this over via email since she didn't want to be marked late. So here it is. Hoping she doing, hoping she is doing, hope she is doing well in class. There's a couple of little grammatical errors in there that we should throw off, throw some attention. I didn't get those the first time when I read it through this morning. I didn't read that. Upload his assignment. So it's a bulk, kind of a generic text block that they're they're adding in names to. Um, yeah. So what it's doing, it's using an external relationship, a remote template injection, to download another malicious macro-laden document. When the macros are enabled by the user, the malware, malware executables are then downloaded on notabug.org. It's a free code sharing service. Um, apparently the guys with ProofPoints talked about it before. You should. Be wary of that one. Maybe you have that on your filter list at work. Um, Notabug.org. Maybe you need to put that on your egress filtering so people can't go to it. It's a free code sharing hosting service. How many of your users need to go to a place that's hosting code? That's the question. The macro abuses the free web bug service, canary tokens, and notifies the attacker when the email or SMS, um, whether the download executable is started, successfully or not by creating a network connection to one of the two canary URLs. And again, they're smart, right? They, they, the attacker, the bad guy, they know that most people are trained not to click that, hey, enable macro button. So they're going to, you know, it's a macro, the macro's got to run, right? So most people are kind of leery of that clicking that edit or clicking that enable or clicking that macro button. So they got a way around that. There's a splash screen that come up, comes up that says, this document was created in a previous version of Microsoft Office Word. To properly load this document, please click Enable Editing button on the top of the toolbar and then click Enable Content. And then it's got the little Microsoft Windows or Microsoft Word logo at the bottom. Um, pretty smart. 
that's pretty smart juju, man. So they're, they're, they've targeted, it's not really, I guess it, technically it is spearfishing, right? So they're, they're targeting their environment pretty, pretty well. Uh, they're picking teachers. They're sending a very, very well-crafted message. I think they need to fix a couple, especially if you're sending it to an English teacher, you'll probably get in trouble for that one. But I'm, I'm sure English is a second language for several parents that the teacher may be okay with that. Um, and then to get around that secondary, the secondary control of users, maybe knowing not to click that enable macros button, they have this pop-up. Hey, this was a, this was created in a previous version of Word, and that's we've seen we've all seen things like this, well well crafted. And then once they run it, uh, once they once the the macro runs, it run pulls down the the executable. It runs the executable. Um, so it appears that this is a custom and relatively simple, simplistic ransomware written on the Go programming language. Thanks, Google. Google, we see Go being used a lot, lot, lot more for this malware stuff. So if you want to learn a new language, maybe go learn Go because more and more bad guys are using it. The document macro downloads two executables, two executables and saves them as ctool exe and etool exe. The two ransomware files and adds, it runs <laughs> once, one of the executables is a wrapper for starting the other. The ransomware encrypts the file and adds dot encrypted to the extension. And then it gives you the nice note. Your files have been encrypted and you won't be able to access them. If you pay me, I will decrypt them for you and you'll be able to access them again. If you don't pay me, you won't be able to access them ever again. Pay me $80 in Bitcoin. Bargain prices, but I guess they're they're not going after corporation. This is what we talked about months ago. We're going to see a lot more of these ransomware attacks targeting individuals as it expands, as they start using this this model of almost like multi-level marketing. They're 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 ransomware. Um, Eighty dollars Bitcoin. There's also an alert that pops up. You've been hacked. Your important files have been encrypted. Try to access them. My dearest apologies, friend. Check the about your files.txt on your desktop for information about how to access them. Again, a payment of $80 will be required in Bitcoin. Failure to pay me will result in you losing your access to your important files forever. All in uppercase. Sincerely, Employer21. And they've got nice thing about Proofpoint. If you're going to work today and you're going to load this into your IDS, your IPS, um, you want to put in your threat detection system, the indicators compromise are provided in the links below. You can grab the IOCs and throw them in there, your uh, URLs, the, the hashes, all the stuff you need to upload into your threat detection system. Um, help you out there. So it's a Bitcoin. It's trying to get that that 80 bucks in Bitcoin. They do Bitcoin because it's hard to trace Bitcoin, right? So we've got we've got ways we can, you know, we if we're following the rules of three, right? We've got these ransomware rules of three we've built over this last six months or so. The first rule of three, right? This is how we protect ourselves. We we um, don't have open RDP sessions to the internet, to the world, to untrusted networks. We patch our systems, all of them, including our VPN. And Alex, you know this is crazy. We patch the, the, the OS, the application, the firmware, 
everything, and maybe someday we'll even patching our printer cartridges, but we make sure all that stuff, uh, our drivers are updated, that kind of stuff. We don't give them, the attacker, a place to grab onto our system and yank it into their grubby little hands. Um, and then we train our end users. This is a good one. I think this is going to slip by a lot of even trained end users. Especially if, that teacher, if you're that teacher and it's late at night and you're, you're grading 30 assignments and this one pops up and you're like, oh, that system built by the state government is clunky and it doesn't work right, right? What we talk about in the, in the first article. Um, so you get your, your data is all encrypted. Yeah. Oh, the other, the other rule of three we know about, right? The other, the other side of the other rule of three is we encrypt our, are we back to encrypt? We back up our data three different places. We do it on two different types of media and one of them is offline. It's not connected to your network because the first thing we're going to talk about this first thing the bad guy's going to do when they get on your network is try to find your backup files. And if they can find your backup files on your network, they're going to encrypt those too. So you kind of, kind of Dunsky, man. Um, so you don't want that to happen. So that's ransomware. So what's DOJ going to do about it? This is how these stories are all linked together, all tied together in a, a bow. This is from an article on the, from the, uh, from the Hill, the Justice Department. On Thursday, rolled out a framework for cryptocurrency enforcement detailing increasing security concerns around the virtual currency. The cryptocurrency enforcement framework, that document is in your show notes, developed by the Attorney, Gen Attorney General Cyber Digital Task Force. Cyber Digital, that's kind of weird. Cyber Digital. Is there, is there another kind of cyber besides digital? I don't know. Cyber Digital Task Force lays out the threats and enforcement challenges involved with the use of cryptocurrency, along with strategies used by the Justice Department in response. So they're, they're laying out, they know, they know what's going on. Department of Justice, the FBI, all these law enforcement folks know the problem with ransomware is going to continue to exist as long as people are getting paid for executing ransomware attacks. And the problem with that is that people will continue to pay because they need their data back and they don't want it leaked to the internet. So, the task force wrote in the report, innovations in technology often change the world for the better, and yet criminals, terrorists, and rogue states can use these same innovations for their own illegal, illegitimate ends, imposing great chaos to the public. Imposing, that goes, that's a, that's a statement like Eric's right there. Best cybersecurity podcast on YouTube. I think, you know, the, that's, you know, imposing great chaos on the public. Today, few technologies are more potentially transformative and disruptive and more potentially, potentially susceptible to abuse than cryptocurrency. Yeah, it's hard to track. That's why people use it. Despite the relatively brief existence, this technology already plays a role in many of the most significant criminal and national security threats our nation faces. Yeah, he's that's from the chair of the task force. Attorney General William Barr said in a statement Thursday, the report provides a cohesive, first-of-its-kind framework for those seeking to understand federal enforcement priorities in this growing space. Cryptocurrency is a technology that could fundamentally transform 
how human beings interact and how we organize society, ensuring that the use of this technology is safe and does not imperil our public safety, our national security, is vitally important to America and its allies. Whew, keeps on going. At the FBI, we see firsthand the dangers posed when criminals bend the important technologically promise of cryptocurrency to illicit ends. This enforcement framework describes we see criminals using cryptocurrency to try to prevent us from following the money across a wide range of investigations, as well as to trade illicit goods like criminal tools on the dark web. That's a big old thing. Follow the money. We've heard that a lot. You want to find the, the, the person responsible. You want to find the bad guy. You want to find the, the suspect. You want to find the sub. Um, follow the money. See where the money goes. And if you're following the money in a normal situation, if you're following $10,100, you're going to be able to follow it through banks because they've got to report it. Um, if they've got to launder the money, then you're going to be, hopefully you're going to be able to follow that. It's kind of, this is beyond that. This is using cryptocurrency. It's harder to trace. He noted, Barr noted, cyber criminals behind ransomware attacks often use cryptocurrency to try to hide their true identities when acquiring malware and infrastructure and receiving ransom payments. The men and women of the FBI are consistently innovating to keep pace with the evolution of criminals uh, and how they use uh, this cryptocurrency. This is true. The, the FBI and all these law enforcement agencies are up against the wall on as fast as technology is changing, as fast as cryptocurrency is changing. They're on the hook to try to protect individuals and organizations from things like ransomware. But they're, they're, they're up against the wall because the victims of ransomware continue to pay the ransom because they really don't have a choice. I know the FBI is going to say, Department of Justice, all these guys are going to say, don't pay the ransom. Have your backup. But if you have backups and they still are going to release that information, your sensitive information to the Internet, sometimes you still have to pay the ransom, even if you have backups. So that's the split. That's when ransomware took an ugly turn when they said, okay, we know you can backup from backup files, but we have copies of your sensitive information, and we're going to put it on the Internet if you don't pay us. So it's a different type of ransomware now. The Justice Department has taken a number of enforcement actions involving cryptocurrency, including filing forfeiture charges in August against 208 cryptocurrency accounts for assisting in laundering millions of dollars stolen during two North Korean hacking incidents. The charges came two weeks after the Justice Department seized and dismantled cryptocurrency schemes run by the terrorist groups Al-Qaeda, ISIS, uh, Al-Qasam brigades, uh, which is Hamas's military wing. More than 300 cryptocurrency accounts were seized, along with millions of dollars um, that were used, being used to raise money for the terrorist group's awareness. Confronting and addressing these threats is what good public policy should do and uh, what the crypto ecosystem itself may have to do if its, a vision, if its vision for the future is to fully take hold. Meanwhile, federal authorities will continuous, continue vigorously enforcing the law as it exists and persuading justice on the behalf of the American people. And there's a problem there, right? A lot of people use cryptocurrency because they don't want the government to track them, because they don't want to use government currency. They, they are using this exactly for that reason. So 
they're saying if you really want your cryptocurrency to take hold, you need to allow it to be tracked, essentially. But the cryptocurrency folks are saying, our customers really are coming to us saying, that's not what we want. We want not to be tracked. Um, so that's 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 a problem there, and, and you might be in that camp saying, I don't I don't want to be tracked. But once ransomware gets a hold of you, and you gotta, the only way you can pay is through Bitcoin, and that's why that's why people keep doing it. It's a double-edged sword. I, I, do I know the answer? No. It's probably a step forward trying to figure out how to track money, how to enforce this. Um, like anything else, if you get caught, they take your money, right? question but the reports are take a look take a look at the report it's 88 pages long i think 83 i was close this is report of the attorney general's digital or cyber digital task force cryptocurrency enforcement framework yeah interesting stuff man um and last up Last up, you guys know, hang, hanging with me till the end here, GDPR. GDPR. So the General Data Protector, Protection Regulation is the way that the European Union ensures privacy information is protected. And it's a strong piece of legislation. Like I said earlier, it not only protects European Union citizens when they're in their home country. But regardless of where they're at, if you're a European Union citizen and you're in the United States, you are offered the same protections of GDPR as if you were home. And they're, they're, they're extensive. They are, I have implemented GDPR rules in different places, and they are far more extensive than U.S. privacy laws. They are. So ZDNet's got an article saying, Cybersecurity standards should be treated the same way as legislative data protection rules in response to cybersecurity, including ransomware incidents. Ransomware has transformed from a thorn in the side of individuals to a nebulous concern against organization um, to a real and frequent threat that can result in catastrophic damage to corporate networks, the loss of client records, and the potential leak of confidential corporate information. I'd say even beyond that, the destruction of the corporation itself. Ransomware can destroy a company, whether that's coming up with the money to pay to save the data or the fact that your data gets leaked on the internet or you can't have access to it. A bunch of ways ransomware can destroy a company. Ransomware, ransomware variants include WannaCry, Petya, Ryuk, and Grand Crab. Um, there's a ton of them out there. According to Checkpoint, the number of daily ransomware attacks worldwide has increased by over half, so 150%, in the last three months, and is close to doubling in the United States, 200%. Threat actors take advantage of the operational destruction, disruption and rapid shift to homework caused by COVID-19. Again, our rules of three. You know, we've got people at home. People are going to be working remote. Secure RDP connections. No open RDP connections to the internet. Patch your software and train your end users. Rule of three. Um, Deya? Deya? Who is Deya? Izat Deya, senior uh, engineer at and manager at UKI. 
says, when we think about two or three years ago when people were hit with ransomware, ransomware nine out of ten times they basically say, that's ah, definitely impacted production. We've got issues, but we can go back to our backups. And worst case scenario, we'll just do a restore. But now that sophistication, the bad guy know this, and the ransomware will come into a network and do and won't do anything. It'll start looking around, see what can it, what it can access. And this is that point where it's on the network, it's looking around. They're probably starting to siphon off data so they can post it later if you don't pay. But they're also looking for your backups. If they can find your backup files, that's the first thing they're going to encrypt. They're going to encrypt your backups, and then they're going to encry start encrypting your systems after they've pulled their data off. So they're going to exfil data, encrypt your backups, encrypt your data, and now they've got you. You don't have backups to go to if you don't have them offline. And they've got your data so they can post it. Problem is a few ransomware victims go to the police. Few few do. And some organizations will simply pay up to brush the incident, incident under the carpet. And here's the rub. The more victims pay up, the more lucrative a criminal enterprise and the ransom industry then continues to gain traction and threat actors adopt this form of attack, right? Yeah, if it works, people will continue to use it. So if ransomware works, if they get paid from ransomware, they're going to keep doing ransomware. Um, now, here's, here's something crazy. The U.S. Treasury Office of Foreign Assets Controls, the OFAC, has published the guidelines, and the guidelines are in the article. I didn't add, I didn't share them in the show notes. Um, on cases where paying ransomware could violate U.S. sanctions, and the department, this is the uh, office, the U.S. Treasury's Office of Foreign Assets Control. Companies that facilitate ransomware payments to cyber actors on behalf of victims, including financial institutions, cyber insurance firms, and companies involved in digital forensics and incident response not only encourage future ransomware payments, payment demands, but also may risk violating OFAC regulations. In cases where sanctions nexus between the U.S. entity and a banned group such as the high-profile ransomware operators may take place, the OFAC says the department rule must be, the department must be contacted first. So do you know this? Is you in your ransomware operations playbook? Do you know you have to contact the OFAC? However, a few willing, companies may be willing to reveal ransomware incident. Uh, and uh, with this in mind, the OFAC has sweetened the pot by promising they will be looked upon favorably, in quotes, in paying uh, ransomwares that violate sanctions. One of the issues with guidelines, Dea says, is that uh, pursuing the agenda of a company committing a criminal offense when they pay up to save their business could inadvertently encourage them to si uh, remain silent when such a cyber attack occurs. They may also penalize a smaller number of companies who can't absorb the cost of remediating, uh, remedying man's ransomware attack and that destroys all their data. So yeah, uh, if you're forcing this, some companies just won't say anything about the attack. Potentially either pay up, salvage operations, or potentially face criminal charges, or wind down the company, in other words. Yeah, close the company down. Uh, I can see the rationale behind it because we don't want to encourage these bad actors if people pay them money. Some some executive commented that. One solution, however, may be that we go to the back to the basics and level the playing field by enforcing security audits along the lines of how the EU General Data Protection Regulation or GDPR uh, treats data controllers, people that own data. 
Everything needs to be audited. You need to be audited to find out all you're able. Because at least it gives a company a fighting chance and gives them the ability to think about how to go about addressing the problem. If they still don't address it, they've, they've been told you're vulnerable. And this, this goes all the way in my mind to the CEO. CEO. Uh, no, guys. Adding more audit is not going to fix this. ZDNet. I, GDPR rules. There's, there's some good things in GDPR rules we can pull out. But auditing, adding another layer of auditing is not going to fix this problem. It, no, it's just not. Um, we have a ton of organizations that can't enforce the privacy rules we have now. And we can look at things like uh, NIST Special Publication 853 Revision 5 that has privacy controls in it that still aren't being implemented. Adding more controls and then adding more audit doesn't fix the problem. We have to train people to correctly implement the control and when to implement it and monitor it over its life cycle. So we use things like the RMF integrated with the organization's SDLC and then we use things like that's to build systems and maintain them and then we use things like the cybersecurity framework on the other side to monitor for attacks and stop them as far as we can to the left. I get where they're coming from, but just adding, as someone who's been audited more than I ever want to be, adding another, adding another level of audit is not going to solve the problem. Because for one, many of the auditors don't know what they're doing. They're coming in with a checklist. They're looking for things. They're going to tie up people's time that could be doing the, the work. I see assessing the systems, making sure the controls are in place, monitoring those controls over time is a better use of your time than adding and then adding more auditors. Um, GDPR, GDPR attempts to treat organizations' data controllers on, uh, on an even playing field and failures that come out with possibility of fines based on the firm's annual turnover. Um, we should come out with at least some sort of guideline for people to follow. Tick these boxes and you should be all right. But leave it on the market and let the business get on with it uh, can be dangerous. No, a checklist. What we don't need is another checklist that somebody's going to go and do you have a firewall? This is what this is what PCI did early on. They came out with a checklist. And the checklist said have a, have a firewall. And people went, put a firewall in. No, no, no rules in it at all, just a firewall. Check that block. We got a firewall. Good to go. We meet PCI requirements. We've got that firewall. There's no rule set on it, but we've got it. That's not going to work. There are some good things in this article. I think the article is mostly smoke and mirrors. Adding auditing is not. Um, logging and monitoring, if they want to. I don't think that's the audit they're talking about. They're, they're leveraging towards auditors coming in and auditing everything. Um, logging and monitoring, sure, yeah. Log and monitor everything. Audits, no. And maybe, maybe they're not. Maybe that's what they're talking about. Maybe they're talking about. Um, maybe they're talking about audit as far as far as logging and monitoring, but that should be def defined. But normally, the way they're they're framing this is about an actual audit, and that's what you go through with the GDPR is audits. So yeah, secure things, make them more secure, implement the controls, look at. 
even if you're not in the government, if you don't work with the government, go check out NIST Special Public 853 Revision 5 and just look at the controls. They're things that make sense. Have a password. Have a strong password. Change your password frequently. Audit when people change their password. Audit when people can't log in successfully. Audit failed login attempts. Um, and when they say audit in those, those cases, they're talking about logging and monitoring. I don't know. Adding auditors, and that's the way this article reads to me, is auditors um, is a bad thing. Added auditing of your logs, that's a good thing. So you tell me. Maybe I'm reading the article wrong. You've got it in your show notes. GDPR rules, yes, there's some good ones out there. Um, are they costly to implement? Yes, they're going to be costly to implement. So organizations that can't implement the privacy controls they have today, in the United States, will they be able to do that in the future if GDPR is a, controls are required here? You tell me. Acquiring minds want to know. Today, today is Leif Erikson's day. So around uh, 1002 AD, Leif Erikson sailed to North America from his home in Greenland. He went in search of land that was seen but not visited by a North Sea captain during a voyage. Um, came to a number of small places. Landings were never documented on a map. He's believed to land it in the coast of Newfoundland and perhaps as far south as Cape Cod. But he came here one time, built a house, built a shed over his boat, and then left and never came back. Other areas, his brother came back. Um... <laughs> Maybe they're good. Maybe Erickson was was smart. Maybe Leaf was was smart because his um, his brother that came back was killed by Indians. 1964, Joint Resolution of Congress declared October 9th as Leaf Erickson Day, and I've included in your show notes the proclamation on Leaf Erickson Day 2020, issued yesterday. So tell us a little bit about it. But that's the that. That's the that. Wait, what do you guys think about ransomware? What do you think about GDPR? What do you think about this phishing uh, uh, attack against teachers? I think it's pretty, pretty smart. Pretty. I think they <laughs> fishers of fishers of email uh, get pretty smart, if you ask me. So that's what I got to say. You guys, it's the weekend. I won't see you again till Monday, seven thirty, right here on the YouTube's right here on the podcast. If you're listening to this audio-only version, if you could, right over there is that, that like button. If you could, or the, the subscribe button. Subscribe, uh, hit the bell to be notified when we go live or when new content comes out. Nine RMF, well, nine, nine new videos came out, I think, yesterday, the day before. A bunch of them in the RMF tracks, right? So we make all the RMF videos available for free. If you want to take the course, you get access to additional information, but the RMF videos themselves are always going to be on YouTube. So nine videos, counting some, counting like the morning show and that kind of stuff, were pushed out to the YouTubes yesterday covering the first introduction to RMF, getting ramped up, getting ready to go in the RMF, uh, the precursor to the RMF stuff. So that's out. Um, you can go out today. I don't see the um, Bravos on here. That's okay. They're going to say, go get some. I'm going to say, take care of your friends, your family, your coworkers. Take care of your organization. And this is a community of folks. So take care of each other. 
I can't wait to see you guys on Monday and hear your great stories about what's going on the weekend. Love to see you like this video and comment below because that helps the logarithm. Anyhow, every log should have some rhythm, right? So anyway, see you guys on Monday. Have a great and safe weekend.